For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Glenn Peebles from Billboard. And I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. In this episode, we talk to American singer-songwriter Andy Grammer. We focus on a set he did on February 28th of this year in San Francisco. Uh, we talk about how he crafts the set list. He's got a very mm -hmm. interesting way of doing it. Uh, we talked a little bit about Louis Prima and a really positive song that he needed during COVID and he throws that into his sets now. Yeah. Uh, he talked about poetry. Yeah. What's interesting about the poetry is you don't see artists do that very often. He will do kind of a, it's not really a song. He's, he's actually reciting a, a beautiful poem right before he plays a song about the subject he's talking about. And it's very uplifting. It's very inspiring. Um, and there's this kind of running theme of positivity and and in a lot of his songs inclusivity and he's really connecting with the audience speaking to them through this poetry through the music going on a journey with them um very uplifting show if you want to be introspective if you want to mope around that's not the place to do it andy grammar is about having fun absolutely so andy grammar behind the set list let it roll today we are very happy thankful to be joined by Andy Grammer. Andy, thank you for taking time out of your busy day. It's uh, it's great to see you. Dude, I love talking shop. Let's get into it. You know, we, we looked at a set list of yours from February 28th uh, at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco. So that's going to be kind of our guide as we go through this. But before we kind of jump into that, um, I, I've, I've read words that describe your live show as inspirational and uplifting. And you don't see those kinds of adjectives uh, too often. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, um, especially about that show, is I love your, for lack of a better term, just your spoken word, your poetry. And it is, well, it's inspirational. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how that happened and what songs you typically will um preview or preface with with uh your poetry you know that happened i got really into poetry on the um the last tour before this one the naive tour and i was just like obsessed with watching spoken word and you know it's funny i'm i'm like not the best at soloing on any instrument it's like not i just don't care enough like i didn't <laughs> I was in for music business and and i would always find myself in the jazz room and these incredible musicians would be like going off and, and learning scales and stuff. And I was always more interested in writing the lyrics and the song. And so when I'm on stage, I have this in, intense desire to kind of solo, but I don't have the backup skill to do that. But what I do have is it's kind of my way of soloing with words. I think there's only so much complexity that you can take in uh, as a listener. And so when you just take away all the music and just, Put it on the words. I, I really, really love that. 
Yeah. yeah. And and one time I was out and a poem started coming to me, uh, and I and I wrote it. And then I was like, man, it'd be so cool if I had like an avenue to go perform this at. And I was like looking up. I, literally, I was out on tour. I was looking up like, where do you go do poetry? And I'm like, oh my god, I have like thousands of people that are coming to see me tonight. <laughs> Maybe I should just like grow a pair and like try this in front of them. And I did and it went over super well. And then they started becoming like parts of my show. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I don't see many artists that could pull that off and still be genuine. And it yeah. it's just absolutely amazing that what you did before uh damn it feels good to be me. I mean, dude, that was that was pretty powerful oh. stuff. And I could really sense that the the audience uh, was vibing off that too. Is that kind of what you feel too? Yeah, it's a direct line. I mean, for me, I think that I'm talented. I think that I'm a good writer. I, I've gotten better at melody and my voice is good and all these things. But really what people are coming for is to f- be filled up. That, and there's no more direct line than just like, I'm talking to you in a, in a, in a way that just, it, it's like zooms in on, on the message. And if you do it well enough, there's something really powerful about that. Really, really powerful. It's fun. Yeah. And and I, it's almost like stand-up comedy. Like I, the the stakes are really high, because if that's bad, this is awkward. <laughs> like, if this is not hitting or we're not feeling anything, and you're, there's no sound, it's just you up there talking. This is really terrible. And I love the kind of adrenaline <laughs> that comes from that as well. When we were talking about, damn, it feels good to be me. Um, you did some things like uh, Transgender Awareness Month, and I, you know, what I love about that song, and it's, you know, I, I don't know if I would have thought of it as an opener, but it, it's so effective uh, as an opener because it's just joyous, and I think it, it speaks to all of us in that we all kind of feel, you know, like we're outsiders at, and at some level, and that that song really just says, you know what, um, be yourself. Um, I'm wondering how you chose that to be kind of your your opening uh, song for some of these shows. It's really fun. Like the art of creating a set list is so fun. That's why I heard just the name of this podcast. I was like, oh, that's such a fun. It's such a fun thing to try and figure out how do you take people on a journey and give them what they need, excitement, create enough low moments. And I just thought uh, that's kind of a bombastic way to start, especially coming off of a poem. I knew like, oh, shit, I got to go write like a really good spoken word to lead into that. Um, so it's kind of like level with you on like a very uh, intense, focused thing. And then I could envision um, when the song starts and the horns and they're doing motions. And it all just kind of made sense in my head. It's like, oh, now we're like getting ready to go on a ride here. This is exciting. And and then the dance of like how many new songs can you play? How many unheard songs can you throw in? I always think it's fascinating with music. I feel so blessed that this art form, it's expected that you play your repertoire. It's just like not the case with other art forms. Like if you're like an actor, you do your thing and then like you got to go do another thing. And and when you show up to uh, your next set, I imagine it's, you, you almost have to let go of all that. Because people don't want to see that guy anymore. You got to get into this new role. And in art and music, 
they'd be pissed if I don't play the best stuff that I've had over the last 10 years. That's really awesome. But you're also playing a lot of new songs. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not slanted based bias toward your oldest music. Um, yeah. A lot but of I new definitely stuff. And like, you're very, and your newest tracks also you've thrown in the set. Basically what I do is I write it, I write it all out and then I have all these different colored markers and I make sure that, um, I, I, I'm like doing it mathematically for the set list to go, okay, I've done a new one. Now I need to give you something that you haven't seen. But then the other problem is, is this up or down? Is if this is an up song, I don't want to go like seven up songs in a row. And then is this content of what I'm singing about too similar to the last song? And you just like continually piece together things with colors so that I can see like, ah, there's too much, there's too much purple here and that's going to be a little heavy handed. So then this one's got to go down here and this is this. And usually uh, throughout rehearsal, you, 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 you kind of figure it out, like what the best flow is and how this is going to work. Yeah, there's so much more that goes into a set list. Like you, you, maybe you don't want two songs that are the exact same key in a row. Yeah. Or like you mentioned, the, the tempo. I'm always curious, like, are you the guy with the Sharpie and oh, yeah. <laughs> that piece of paper? A hundred percent. That's me. And then what's fun is like as you get bigger, there's more things. So on this set, there's a piano that moves out to the front and comes back to the end of the stage. So that is now a three-dimensional problem that like, okay, these these two are too close thematically, but I don't want to pull the set I don't want to pull the set out just for one and then bring it back. And so it's like a whole thing that will eventually reveal itself to you of the best way to make this thing happen and get everybody what they need. But I love it. It's like one of my, I love that part of it. Of, of really getting it exactly right and taking people on a ride. I think it's fascinating that there is no one way to do it. I remember I went, I opened for a band that, uh, just like a different vibe. Like, um, you know, you go see like a Dave Matthews band. I, I don't think they're as worried about this. They're just like, maybe they are. I don't want to undercut it. But there's like this, some bands, the whole purpose is to not have this super direct line. And there's like a like a little bit of a distance and they just kind of play their music and there's not the super direct connection. And that so, super works. It like blew my mind with this band that I opened for a band called OAR. And everybody comes and they're like having a great time. And there's not like a ton of stories. It's just like a, it's like sometimes they'll like go and talk to each other on stage. And there's not like this all ever present like as soon as the song is done I'm back I'm here with you I'm guiding you through this and I watched and it was working and it blew my mind that like oh there's so many ways to do this that give everybody what they want there's no one perfect way but you do need to figure out for you what's the way what works for you Yeah, I think you've you've kind of got that down it seems like there's this definite progression in you come out hot you know, you may kind of wind things down like you were talking about, you know, maybe uh, bringing the piano out front and maybe doing pennies from heaven or, you know, kind of yeah. doing a cooler, yeah. you know, maybe more intimate thing. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Is that something that you've done for years that you kind of have like the set within a set? That was it's relatively new. We uh, what I what's frustrating is when you have a set and the it doesn't make sense to have a piano in the front of the stage the whole set because then there's no room to like jump around and stuff but then I'm doing some of my favorite songs like way back at the edge of the stage which doesn't make sense so that was the the goal of that was man I'm playing keep your head up I want to be like up I want to be seeing everybody and then I go into like a like a down 
ballad. I don't want to be far away from everyone, so we had to figure out how to make it work. Um, it was it worked this time. It was really great. Talk a little bit about the instrumentation. You have a killer horn section. Not only are oh, they yeah. do they sound good, but visually they're very striking. Um, yeah. yeah. Talk about how you blend uh, the horns into what you do in your set. It was really fun to like a lot of the new music has horns. So I knew I needed horns and then it's fun to jazz up some of the stuff that's worked forever and make new versions of it. So like keep your head up with horns has like a whole new, that song doesn't have horns. So now we got to make a cool line on that. And yeah, it just like really helps kind of amplify other things. There's a whole dance of, you don't want to mess too much with things that are, that people want to hear a certain way. So a very, very delicate balance between how much you can make it interesting without making it not what they came to see. Uh, yeah, he's like, these are all the things you dance with of, I want to give you something that you aren't expecting, but we've all heard stories of people that mess too much with it. And then it's like, well, I, that's not even that song anymore. I don't want to do that. Um, so that's it. That's, that, it's really fun. That's like one of the, that's why I was so excited about this podcast. I'm like, oh, people don't talk about this that much. Is there's so much that goes into the rehearsal and creating something that is going to really, really hit people and, and leave them feeling like with art, unless people leave going like, holy shit, unless that happens, we're screwed. We're, we're selling magic. We're selling a feeling of euphoria. And so there's, there has to be so much that goes into this to make you feel something extra and want to come again or tell all your friends or all that stuff. Yeah. Andy, when did you start doing the, the Louis Prima song? How'd that get in the set list? That was just this set. And I, I felt like I couldn't, he was like such a big part of my pandemic. Just so much Louis Prima. He was my number one played on Spotify because it's so up, but he's, he's messing with it. He's like having a good time. And every time it rains, it rains. You know, like you hear all these other people, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. These other people are like, they're singing the song and they're doing their own twist on it. But he is very like, you can tell that he's just like messing around and really swinging it harder and having a blast. And so that was really helpful to me when I couldn't get out and tour. He was my lifeline. I'd put him on all day long. And then. Just getting the courage to do something as uh, as out as that and knowing that your fans will come with you is, is cool. What was the reaction? Psyched. Confusion and then psyched. And just when, just when they, like they're having fun and just when they're like, okay, is he really just still doing this? Then we did, we morphed into Stay by Justin Bieber to keep it like, oh, I got this, yeah. So. Yeah, are there certain... I don't see a lot of covers in your set list, but what are some of those covers that you like to slide in from time to time? Or is it like Justin Bieber where it's like a little unexpected? You know, going back to what I was saying about um, not knowing where the center of the music industry is right now, choosing covers is harder than it's ever been. Because the point of a cover, in my opinion, is a moment that we all, it's like you get to pull another hit. You know, the worst thing in the world, I remember I've played certain private shows or different things. You never want to follow a cover band because they're just hitting. They're just going biggest smash in the world to the biggest smash in the world to the biggest smash in the world. So when you're doing your, especially when you're coming up, putting your own spin on things on, on a song that's already a huge hit, that is just like everybody already knows their lines and you get to have a huge surge of energy. 
Um, and in the beginning, you know, you, at least for me, I would do it just kind of like how the song was. And then you realize like, oh, that's a cop out. Something feels really dirty about that, about just playing a hit for the sake of playing a hit. You want to throw your own real spin on it. Um, and now that's the fun. If you're going to if you're going to do a cover, it better not sound exactly like the song and it better be your take. That's kind of the rule. Yeah. When you do a cover song, though, are you are you going for a hit? You're not doing some deep cut that is just a personal favorite. Do you want to do something that people know? No, because I'm spending all that energy on mine. If I wanted to take you on a deep cut, let me take you somewhere of something that I wrote. If I'm going to there's only so much attention. That there's like a myth that there's forever attention. There's only so much and you have to really care about what you're doing for people and where you're taking them and when you're going to ask them to stretch themselves. To be like, all right, I'll come with you. You got me now. Uh, what, what is this? And then you don't want to abuse that, you know. So I wouldn't, there, I wouldn't want to do just like some weird deep cut of someone else's song that feels like a waste of attention. I've been seeing some really cool mashups uh, online, and and you've kind of played with that a little bit. I mean, I love the the Honey I'm Good and kind of the September uh, mashup. Yeah. Talk a little bit about these mashups because they're kind of fun. Yeah, it's a way to, um, again, it's like covers are like you don't want to look directly into the sun. You got to figure out your way to get, get everybody up out of their, uh, you know, just like dancing and having a great time. And you want to, sometimes it's fun to just touch on it for a second and then get out because it feels dirty, again, if you do the whole thing. You don't want to do the whole thing. You didn't pay a good ticket price to come here to hear me sing somebody else's song. That's like not what this is. So, but it is fun to allude to it or to drop hints or even like musically. That's like the muso stuff. The the killer musicians will like call out to somebody in each city. Like the solo in Minneapolis like alludes to Prince or or something like that. You want to just like give like little touches without being like, I'm just uh, phoning it in here with someone else's song. But in the beginning, you know, you, like on the first single, you just don't have that many songs. So you got to figure out... <laughs> So at that stage, you're like, okay, I'm going to play this whole Snow Patrol song because I just don't have that many yet. But yes. Are you ever able to mix it up on the fly? I know sometimes like if you're playing a larger show and maybe the lights are programmed a certain way or you have a video screen or whatever's going on, you may not be able to stray. But how much freedom do you have? Have you ever been in the middle of a show and just said, you know what, we're going to we're going to drop this track in here? Yeah, and that's really when you leave the click. So you you try to set up enough situations throughout your show that don't have you to the grid, to the click. And and that's when you kind of have a little more fun and and looseness. I equate it to like when you're starting out, at least for me, a lot of the music sounded like uh, John Mayer or just because by nature of it like I didn't have any money to pay anybody to come help me do this and so it's just me and a guitar there's only so many ways you can make that sound different and in that scenario like I started as a street performer I did that for four years that you're you can you're it's like a bike that at any point you're like that was an interesting alleyway I'm just gonna gonna go down there and you like switch fast and then you get a trio set up and that's a little harder to just run but you still can now I mean we're bringing a semi like literally with all of our crap so that's hard to pull like intense left turns on everybody and light and everybody. So you you then create moments where, okay, this one is not to click. This is just like a good time. And if I feel like jumping or everybody's listening to me 
and they're listening a little bit more intently on those because I will jump and turn into something or throw a different um, cover in or 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 even just go like, oh, this one's just me on the guitar. I'm going to do this one now. Yeah. Everybody has access to the music. Let's say almost everybody, right? They can stream it if they want to. So do people know these new songs that you're playing? What's the reaction like? So most of the new ones, I would like very carefully thought, I think four have been released. So all the ones that are released, I felt comfortable playing because all my fans will be on top of those. And they did. They sang those back and it was awesome. And then I, th- I think I had like three that were unreleased. So realistically, I only, again, it's like attention. And then for the ones that are unreleased... Um, I had a poem that set it up to make it an event and then I recorded them because I wanted to have like big crowds sing. So I really take a lot of energy to make sure that I'm not just like throwing stuff out at you to deal with. You don't want, there's a lot, I have a lot of care, sometimes almost too much about caring for an audience and, and really like, because someone from my perspective can go too far in that direction and then someone who's like, fuck it, I don't care, I'm an artist can get to other places that are really dope. Uh, but there's other drawbacks to that, you know. Of just like, I'm doing what I want. Yeah. How much of your performance is really a direct result of the audience? Your energy, uh, you know, the way that you perform. Um, are you watching the audience as they sing along, how they're getting um, getting involved? Do you kind of feed off that and have better shows when you have better audiences? Oh, yeah. Well, better is interesting, like different, like some nights uh, we did a lot of theaters on this last run and some nights you could feel it was just going to be a medium energy, but in a medium energy poems smash, like they really cut through and this thing, you know, it's fun to experience the set differently every night. You know, I just, we ended the set, the the tour at like this big corporate gig for Southwest and uh, I could pretty quickly tell that like, oh, there's no poetry here. This is not going to work. So I got I, I just f- completely flipped the setup on a dime in the moment and pulled up, pulled out old like street performing things and and uh, just like, yeah, I, I can switch if I need to. If I. My goal is to move you. My goal is to not just like do what I want. Yeah. Which I don't know if that makes me a good or a bad artist. I honestly can't tell. Sometimes that's good. My goal is not to come out and be like, I did, I am doing this set list because this is what it is and I'm an artist and I'm doing it this way. I'm a lot more like, where are we at, everybody? How, I have 10 years of experience to give you what you need. What do we need tonight? You know, I come at it from that, that way. Well, how's the corporate crowd different than a normal crowd? Well, it's, it's definitely different. Like when you, when you get on stage and everyone knows every single one of your lyrics, that is a freedom that you can't lose. There's no way to lose that. That's just, that's a dream. That's floating on a cloud for an hour and a half. Um, and the corporate thing is is much more like street performing where there's a lot of people there that don't necessarily know what, you, what your vibe is. And so it's a lot more uh, kind of creating moments and explaining things. And, and yeah, and I would still rather win you over. That's like my, I come from that. It's really fun. It's almost like a challenge. Oh, you don't know me, or you've only heard one of my songs. Let me try to get you to a place by the end of this. Yeah. But it's more fun, undeniably, to go play to a, a room that screams everything. Yeah. yeah. So talk a little bit about how you wind a show down. Like, in, in this particular show that we were looking at, it went from, you know, uh, Lease on Life, 
Save My Life, Joy, and you're kind of you're letting them know that the show is coming to an end. Um, how do you craft that? You want to have something that's big enough to let everybody know that it's ending. And then then you have the little treat at the end, which is why the encore has lasted forever. I don't know. It'd be fun to watch a documentary just about like the encore. Uh, I would love to know where that started or... But it's a really the reason it sticks around is it's really cool. It lets everybody know that the show's ending, and then you hopefully save some something big for the end to where they maybe even forgot. That's the best. Like if you're at a show and the show ends and you're like, "Ugh, that was great. I feel full and satisfied." And then if you have enough songs to where you've saved one of your big big ones and they come out and play a big one and you forgot even, then you're like, "Oh shit." <laughs> and then you leave like like double uh, full, which is that that's how you want people to leave. Yeah. So you're wrapping up with Don't Give Up on Me. Yeah. And is that your biggest song or is that the best to end with? I think right now it's my, you know, I think it's the biggest streamed outside of another song called Fresh Eyes, which is more of like a playlist hit. Like there's different types of hits. Don't Give Up on Me is like a true um, people come searching for that. And Fresh Eyes was this one that, like, no one turned off. So it just stayed at the top of, um, it was like a lean back hit. But Don't Give Up On Me is one that I know when I play that, uh, people will have stories that they have used that song for. And there's, like, a big emotional release a lot of times. You can see the, the eyes get watery. Some people actually just start bawling. It's like a thing. So it's a good place to end. Well, how did that happen? I mean, let's talk about that for a second because that was yeah. on the Five Feet Apart film uh, later on Naive. But it is just such a powerful, emotional yeah. song. It'll just bring you to your <laughs> knees. How did that happen, uh, That getting that? Uh, well, it was directed by one of my best friends and roommates, um, a guy named Justin Baldoni, who's like just my favorite person. And uh, he texted me and said, I, I'm, I knew he was doing the movie. And he said, you got anything that would fit this? And I had just written that song and uh, and it worked. And I think these days, if you want to have something that actually pierces culture, it has to have many lives because the channels just aren't anywhere near as big as they used to be. So it had this huge thing that happened when the song, when the movie came out and was used in all the promos and all that. And then it had its own viral moment on Facebook where I went and sang just with my guitar at the PS22 choir, which is like a um, uh, an elementary school where this, this choir director just has people come in and he does arrangements and they're really good. And so we did that and then put it up on Facebook and it went to, it's somewhere near 100 million views on Facebook now. So that was like, oh my God, that had its own life. And then because it was a choir of kids and the song is really powerful when it's sung by kids, it then had a whole other life it's my only song that's ever spread through elementary schools. So all these different elementary school choir teachers got this arrangement and started posting videos on YouTube all around the world. So it was really, it has a very special place in my heart. You like wake up and see like, oh, there's a choir in Zambia of second graders singing Don't Give Up On Me. And now today it's Switzerland and today it's in Japan. And now it's in, it was something about kids singing Don't Give Up On Me is just super powerful. So it's really had many, many different lives to it to keep it going. And it's still kind of like probably the biggest one that's the most current right now. 
What a great song to to end on. It's just so powerful and so emotional. And uh, it leaves you uh, thinking and humming something on the drive home. Yeah. And really, like, I like to say, I've said it the last time I said it this tour as well, that a lot of what this set is, is encouraging you to just lean into who you are. Just lean into what your what your specialty is and what your uniqueness is and your quirks are. That's actually what the world wants from you. And I think when people hear don't give up on me, they usually are just singing it to themselves. Like, don't give up on being who you are. You know? Yeah, and I think that's kind of a message or a theme in your show is kind of accepting and celebrating who you are. And it's it's a real powerful message. And I noticed from seeing a lot of... Um, a lot of your crowd responses to these things, it's, it's powerful. It's emotional. And I think it's really hard to get right. I, I always find there's, there's ideas or messages that I am drawn to and then I'm very aware of all the places that it can go wrong. Like that message done incorrect is brutal. It's just the worst. Um, so it's got to have enough grit to it. It's got enough sincerity, enough vulnerability it's like, you know, being the positive guy, the word positive is cheesy. You're like at a loss to begin with. You're just starting down 20 points. So, but people need it. So there's, the need is 100% there. We all need optimism. We all need a reason to jump out of bed. We all need to go into our soul. It's just that it comes with so much cynicism that unless you're doing it at such a high level and so aggressively, it doesn't get in. But if you do get in, you got fans for life that'll show up every single time that you come through.